this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Week four. Now, this has been a series that's, that's near and dear to my heart because it's Jesus's words. I take Jesus's words, God's words throughout scripture very seriously. I believe all of scripture is God breathed and ordained, but I pay particular attention to Jesus said or God spoke, right? They're actual words. And in this last weekend of kingdom come, I didn't want to move on from this series without strongly addressing forgiveness and justice in the kingdom. Jesus has some very specific words about these subjects. And honestly, of all the things that set us apart from the world, forgiveness and justice, are it's probably the concepts that make the least amount of sense to a non-Christian. They don't get it. And honestly, even within the church, There are a ton of misconceptions about forgiveness and justice in God's kingdom. Remember from our second week of this series, the kingdom of God is both here and now and there and then. It's it's here in our lives on earth today because Jesus said the kingdom is here now. But he also told us to pray that it would come soon. And there he was talking about heaven, eternity, spending all the rest of our days worshiping God without death and fear, but it's both here and now and there and then, meaning what we do not only affects the now, but it affects eternity later too. And now we've been placed in community. We've been placed in family. We've been commissioned to sit together in churches to encourage each other. We have, from the time of Adam and Eve, been placed in community. We have to figure out how to get along, how to relate to each other, how to love each other. We began this series talking about Jesus's model of prayer. And today I want to focus, I want to read through that prayer again, but I want to particularly focus on verse 12 and verse 14. So Matthew 6, verse 7 is where we find this passage. When you pray, Don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Pause there for just a second, because I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say, forgive our sins and forgive those who sinned against us. They are two related phrases. Forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. See, Jesus knows how the kingdom works. He knows the two go hand in hand, and he goes even further with this in verse 14. Verse 13 says, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. It should be a little scary to us. There is a healthy fear 
we have of God, a healthy respect that we need to have for God's words. And forgiveness is a huge part of how we live as Jesus followers. It's a, it's a huge part of our relationship with God because if we have it, all lines of communication are open. All blessing lines of communication, all talking back and forth with God, everything is open. But if we don't, God cuts us off from some things too. If we choose to hold things against other people, God holds some stuff against us too. Forgiveness with God is a two-way street. It goes both ways. It's actually, it is, it is a blanket decision. When you choose to accept God's forgiveness, you're not just accepting it from him. You're accepting it for others too. And today I want to cover five common misconceptions about forgiveness among Christians. Now, these are things I have personally heard and, and talked through with people, maybe around a home group circle or just counseling and helping people through certain things. I've heard these particular things come out of our mouths, Christian mouths. And I'm very aware that I'm talking to the church today, right? We should all have a base level of understanding of Jesus's forgiveness, right? We are flawed human beings. We're, we're selfish. We're sinful. We could never live up to the goodness of God. And so Jesus had to die a, a perfect lamb slain, like the song said today, to cover our sin. He forgave us in that way. Okay. I'm hoping we all can start today with that basic understanding of Christian forgiveness. And yet we still have these misconceptions. And number one, Common misconception about forgiveness among Christians. You don't have to do anything to receive God's forgiveness. We've all heard this, right? What do you mean that's not true? You don't have to do anything to receive God's forgiveness. I thought it was free. It is free. And you do not have to earn it. Let me be very clear on that. You do not have to do anything to earn God's forgiveness. And I think that's what we mean when we say this. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with the statement if we understand that we don't have to earn it, but we do, however, have to accept it. It is the only thing we have to do, actually. And it might not sound like there's a real big difference there, but there is a big difference there. You do not have to earn the forgiveness of God. You can never earn the forgiveness of God. He gives it freely, but you do have to accept it. And that is because true love must involve choice. God gave us love because he gave us the choice to love him back. You cannot force someone to love you. If we didn't have a choice but to live in the goodness of God forever, we couldn't love either. True love must involve choice. And so accepting forgiveness and choosing to walk in it and forgive yourself, as Jason explained a little last week, it's an active choice. This is not something you can do passively. <clears throat> it takes work. But that's not to say that it takes work to earn it, to be worthy of it, just that you have to accept it. Earning it is religion. Earning it is, is jumping through hoops arbitrarily. It's, it's works-based faith. We don't have that. We have grace. God gave it to us freely. But the only thing you have to do is choose to accept it. Allow it. 
Stop actively working against it. That's what we do more often. We actively run away, run the opposite direction. We think we know better. We don't. We have to accept it. But accepting it is easier said than done. Yeah? Because we know we don't deserve it. And our our logical minds want to work against that faith-based part of our soul. Our logical minds say we don't deserve it. So therefore, I must try to work to earn it. It's easier said than done. And that brings me to the next common misconception. And that is number two. Forgiveness must be earned. It can only be given, actually. Forgiveness can only be given. This is where we get tripped up because for other people, we think they don't deserve forgiveness, right? Okay, I can accept the the first one. I can accept God's love for my life. But when it comes to other people, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve God's love. They don't deserve my love. They've hurt me too bad. Of course they don't deserve it. Of course they don't deserve it. No one said they should deserve it. Forgiveness must be given, not earned. Must be given, not earned. Peter didn't earn Jesus' forgiveness for denying him. Jesus gave it. And then he commissioned him to be the rock upon which he built his church. He not only gave it, he trusted him too. Jesus forgave the the thief hanging on the cross beside him. A thief didn't do anything to deserve it. He couldn't have. He was hanging on a cross, dying. Jesus gave it anyway. There was the woman at the well or, or the woman accused of adultery or the man lying on a mat. So many examples throughout Jesus's ministry of Jesus forgiving just because they believed. He forgives alongside simple faith simple acceptance we often make faith out to be this huge monster beast that we're just never gonna have right if i can just have a little bit of faith i i could heal people i could do so many bigger things for god but that's not the kind of faith that i see jesus forgiving with it's simple acceptance simple acknowledgement of who he is jesus was the one that said uh, the faith of a mustard seed right We don't need that much faith to be forgiven, just a little acceptance to understand and accept that forgiveness is a gift. Only ever is it a gift, which comes, brings me to number three, and that is that trust should be given alongside forgiveness. Common misconception. In fact, we think that trust and forgiveness tend to be the same thing. And so we think forgiveness must be earned and trust right alongside it. That's not the biblical model of forgiveness or trust that I see, actually. Trust and forgiveness are two very different things. Jesus never said to trust everyone. He said to love everyone and trust God and God alone. By the way, Jesus never said to trust even yourself. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 28 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. There is an inherent distrust of even ourselves in Christianity. I can't trust my flesh to do what's right for me. 
I can't trust my body, my selfish desires to do what's right for me. I trust God and God alone. It's in direct rebellion against the world, by the way, who wants to tell you only you know what's best for you. Listen to yourself, right? Let your heart lead you. No, my heart's endlessly wicked, the Bible actually says. I'm going to let God lead me. I don't trust even my own heart. I trust God. And so we shouldn't quite trust each other all of the time, too. Trust must be earned. It doesn't have to be given alongside forgiveness. In fact, Matthew 18 uh, lays out a beautiful passage of Scripture about how to deal with conflict among Christians, how to address when you feel like someone has sinned against you. And I do encourage you to go back and read steps one, two, and three, because we're going to skip to the end today. Don't skip one, two, and three if you're dealing with conflict. But there is a point you can reach in a conflict with another believer where you no longer treat them like a fellow believer anymore. It actually says you can now treat them like a pagan or corrupt tax collector. How do we treat pagans? And corrupt tax collectors. Do we hate them? Do we treat them badly? Are we rude to them? No, we love them. Right? But it doesn't say you should trust them. It says you should love them. Love them back to Jesus. Encourage them back in to the fold. But it doesn't mean you have to treat them like a fellow believer anymore. Like family anymore. Pagans have a different value system, right? Tax collectors seem to have no discernible value system. And so instead of treating them as if they have the same values that we do, you can now treat them as if someone who has a different value system. You don't have to trust alongside forgiveness. Trust should be earned. Forgiveness is always given. By the way, this is why leadership has qualifications in God's kingdom. Because in God's kingdom, trust is earned. Everyone is forgiven if you accept it. Everyone. But leadership is not given to everyone. Some people have some qualms. They, They get a little bit upset when we tell them there are requirements for being a partner at Freedom Valley. Right? You have to give and serve and and tithe, follow some basic biblical obediences, like not living with your not spouse or just basic, basic obedience, living a biblical lifestyle to the best of your ability. They get upset about that. But even in God's kingdom, you must earn trust. And there's scriptures all throughout, like faith without works is dead. Meaning if you don't do something about your faith, you might not have faith. It's a dead faith. It's useless if you're not actually living it, right? It says if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much, right? There's parables of the talents and all kinds of parables showing us that trust in the kingdom of God is earned, not given. Forgiveness is given. Love is given, but trust is earned. If you want to be used more in God's kingdom, Obey more. Many of us complain, God, why aren't you using me? God, why aren't you using my talents? I could be of so much use. Maybe it's because he's waiting for you to obey more, to earn trust. God takes leadership in his church very seriously because it has eternal implications. 
we should do. Earn trust with God. Obey more, and he will trust you more. He gives his forgiveness freely, but trust must be earned. Number four common misconception about forgiveness is that forgiveness is a feeling. Hopefully, someday, forgiveness for you is a feeling. But initially, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a chosen path. I was talking to someone who was going to be baptized last week. We had a baptism service last week. And at the last minute, they sort of backed out. And uh, I asked why. And they said, I just don't feel like I'm forgiving other people in my life enough to get baptized yet. There's some theological problems with that, but let's um, let's attack the, the forgiveness thing because you don't have to feel forgiveness to be on the path toward it. Forgiveness is a process. We don't always let go of all of the emotions tied to it at first. Sometimes forgiveness can just look like the choice to not get the person back, even if you could. Right? To not repay them the pain that they gave to you. Even if you could, you wouldn't. Sometimes it just looks like not speaking ill of them to other people. You know, everybody's standing around talking about that person. You could easily add a lot to this conversation. Tell them all the ways they did you wrong, right? Or you could be silent. That's forgiveness or on the road to it anyway. Maybe for you, it's just choosing not to dwell on what happened. Choosing not to feed that anger anymore. Choosing to put it behind you. Accept that it happened and move on. Or maybe it's actively seeking healing for what happened. Right? Seeing a, a therapist, talking to someone about it, trying to heal completely and wholly, giving that thing to God and saying, God, Help me feel the feelings of forgiveness, right? Maybe you're not anywhere else on this list yet, but you can just ask God, God, help me feel it. Help me want it. I want to forgive. I'm just not there yet. Can you help me get there? All of those things are acceptable on the path to forgiveness. Even just saying, I forgive you out loud. Alone in a room. Not to them, not to their face yet, but maybe you can just say it out loud. Practice saying it that way. If you get the chance, maybe, right? Maybe it's asking God to forgive them. Forgiveness is a path. You might hit all of those things along the path, but it's not a feeling, not initially. Forgiveness is a choice. Number five common misconception about forgiveness is that forgiveness is the belief that they won't mess up again. This goes along with trust. But again, it's not true. In fact, this is why we call God's love reckless love. He loves us, forgives us, even though he knows we're going to mess up again. Even though he knows we're going to pursue other things, put other things over him Again, he loves us anyway. Forgiveness is the belief that they probably will mess up again, but choosing to love them anyway. Forgiveness tends to go hand in hand with justice, though. 
And even understanding all of those things, we still have a hard time letting go because we want them to be paid back, right? We want the other people, the the people that made us feel pain. We want them to feel that too, right? There has to be something done about this. Someone has to pay. And so even when we understand all of these things about forgiveness, it can be hard to let go until we understand how justice works in the kingdom of God. And that is a little bit more explained in Romans 12. We're going to go there, verses 17 through 21. And it says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. It does not say there, live in peace with everyone, but that do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Half of that is not your choice, right? Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Did you know kill them with kindness is a biblical concept? (laughs) Burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. There are four common justice misconceptions as well. Four things that we believe about justice that keep us from fully forgiving and allowing God to do what only God does best. And that is number one, that we know justice best. We know vengeance best. That because we were the ones who experienced the pain, we're the only ones who can know what they need to get back. That's just not true. Only God knows vengeance best. Only God. Only God knows vengeance best. The reality is our systems, our, our justice systems, our courts, our judges, they're, they're cheap knockoffs comparatively to God's justice. Sure, they're good and they try to help us keep in line and keep a good society going, but we also know they're flawed, right? Because humans are flawed. Our justice systems will never live up to God's. God is not flawed. God can read hearts and minds. He judges the inward person, not just the outward appearance. God knows you and is the best judge of you, which should also scare you a little bit. If you're unrepentant, it should scare you a little bit. You cannot just say you're sorry and not mean it. An apology without change is just manipulation. I read that on Facebook recently. An apology without change is just manipulation. God can tell the difference, I promise. He cannot be manipulated. He reads hearts and minds, right? He knows our inward selves. He can read intentions, not just actions. That should scare some of us. We need, that's why I always talk about having honest conversations with God, 
right? Because there is no point in having a dishonest conversation with God. It doesn't make sense. He wants your honest thoughts. He wants the anger. He wants to hear the bitterness. He wants to enter into that conversation with you so that he can help you fix it. If you're being dishonest with him, you're not giving him anything to work with because he knows you're being dishonest. Have an honest conversation with God. Let him see the unrepentance and, and be willing to ask him to help. But you know, the amazing thing is, the more you follow God, the more you serve him, the more you can sort of see through this haze of revenge and keeping score. It, it, you can just sort of shrug off things. You know, I've had some criticisms or sort of attacks come against the church or myself lately, and it's just so different when I'm solid with who I am with God, right? Especially if they're so far off base. It, it hurts to be lied about, sure, but it doesn't affect me that much anymore. <laughs> if anything, I, I sort of feel like bad for the person who said it because guess who fights my battles? Not me. <laughs> I'm not that good at it compared to God. God is way better at fighting my battles. I have the lion of Judah behind me. Come at me, bro. Right? What's a, what can you possibly do to me? God is for me. Who can be against me? I almost feel bad. Right? He's coming after you, and he does it way better than I could ever. All I have to do is trust him. He knows vengeance best. And if he chooses to forgive, I must as well. Which brings me to my second common misconception is that is we're being asked to forgive too much. We may not say that out loud, but deep down we feel like, God, how could you ask me to forgive that? How could you possibly ask me to let go of that? I'll, I'll let go of everything else, but not that. It's too much. I'm not capable. You're asking me for too much. No, we've been forgiven of so much. Jesus forgave us, me, you and I, of so much. And in comparison with that, it's really not that much to ask. It's really not. It was, as we learned two weeks ago, and like we just said, God reads hearts and minds, not just actions. And Jesus was the one who said, sure, maybe you've never murdered someone, but have you thought that someone's an idiot behind their back? Or said it even out loud. Those things make you also guilty of murder, right? Maybe you haven't slept with your neighbor's wife, but you've thought lustful thoughts, right? God has forgiven me of so much, so much. How can I not forgive other people? I think Christians get into this trap of thinking, I could never do that. I, I can't even imagine. What kind of a person would even do that? <laughs> All we should be saying, constantly saying, is if not for Jesus, I would be the same. If not for Jesus, I would be worse. If not for Jesus, I would react so much worse than I do today. But Jesus has forgiven me so much. How could I possibly not forgive other people? 
How, how could I possibly? That's where humility comes in. Number three, just this common misconception is that if I forgive, they won't change. We sometimes somehow think that we are holding people accountable with our unforgiveness. We are causing them to change so that nobody else has to go through what I went through. I'm going to make sure they know I'm always going to be angry. And I will never forgive them for what they did. We think that is somehow an effective change agent when in reality, forgiveness is a much more effective change agent in human hearts and souls. Uh, Many of you have heard my but I love you story, right? I... True story, one one week I I came in, I was worshiping and praising God, and I just kept saying, God, I'm not worthy of this. I keep messing up. You've given me leadership. I don't deserve it. I know what I should do, and I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do, and I do it anyway. I'm I'm probably just going to do it all over again tomorrow. I can't do this on my own. I'm I'm so not worthy. I couldn't even raise my hands and close my eyes that day. I just was yelling. (laughs) And God only said four words in response to me. He said, but I love you. But I love you. (laughs) And in that moment, I mean, I I was like, God, did you hear what I just said? (laughs) Right? Like all those things I just listed, did, did you get them? You can't possibly. He said, but I love you. The reality is that forgiveness and love, true love, covers a multitude of sins. Forgiveness and love are a much more effective change agent because what that those four words did to me was make me want to change. It made me want to run back into his arms knowing that nothing I could do could ever make him ashamed of me or disappointed in me. It made me want to not disappoint that, even though I knew I never could. That's actually the difference between conviction and guilt, by the way. Satan, our enemy, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brother, and he wants to accuse you of all the things you've ever done. And we ourselves are are pretty good at making ourselves feel guilty, too. We don't actually need that much help from the enemy. But guilt and conviction are two very different things. Guilt comes from ourselves and from the enemy, and it drives us away from God. It makes us want to run in the other direction. We want to get as far away from his goodness as we possibly can and hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve. Conviction, on the other hand, it draws us to God. It makes us acknowledge the things that we've been doing wrong, but it, it draws us to him. We now can't wait to be forgiven because we just so want to please God. We, we want to obey. It's an amazing thing. Conviction comes from forgiveness. Forgiveness is much more effective at life change than condemnation is. If I forgive, they won't change is not a valid reason to not forgive someone. Forgive them honestly and truly and see what God can do with their heart and soul. The last one is... Just as common misconception number four. An eye for an eye is the only way to conquer evil. We often think that we have to pay someone back for what they did. Somebody has to. The justice system, someone, or evil won't be conquered. It'll never stop. 
That's not what Romans says. Romans says you conquer evil by doing good. You don't spread more evil out into the world. In fact, that just compounds things and makes it so much worse. There's a little bit of evil done and then lots of evil done back and then more on top of it. It just, it never stops. An eye for an eye is actually a biblical concept. It was back in the Old Testament days. It was a, it was meant to be a limit to revenge. It was meant to be a justice system limit, meaning, uh, if you gouge someone's eyes out, you, honestly, most of us take revenge way too far and this is human nature, but if your eye is gouged out by somebody, you want to go and take both their eyes, right? They kill your wife, you want to go and obliterate their entire family. If they steal something from you, you want to go and ravage their whole house. This is what we do. Human nature, we want to pay them back for more. Want to make sure they experience all the pain, not just the, the little pain that we experience. An eye for an eye was meant to be a limit to that. A limit, not a right. Stopping the chaos. It was a justice system, but even it is flawed because evil can never conquer evil. Only good does that. You conquer evil by doing good. And God is so good, holy, pure. He is so good that he cannot allow evil to exist for long. He won't. He always takes action if you forgive. Do you want to take it on yourself and do it badly and produce more evil in the world? He gives us that choice most of the time. <clears throat> but if we allow him to take revenge, he will take action. But he is also graceful. And I can hear some of your wheels spinning. Well, I've given this to God and nothing has happened. God is graceful as well, which means he gives each of us ample opportunity to repent and be forgiven. Only he can decide when enough is enough. We have to trust him with that. And so we must be people of forgiveness. We must release the right, the right that we feel in our souls to take vengeance upon ourselves and allow God to do what only God does best. The kingdom is more of a mindset than a place. It's as much of a mindset as it is going to be a place. We have to live here in this world, but we're made of different stuff. We have to live in this world, but not of it, right? And I think most Christians, we think, oh, that, that means if I just separate myself enough from the world, I'll keep the evil out. Does it work that way? Is the evil something that's out there somewhere? Or is it in here? Was I born with the evil? In fact, I think a lot of times we, we, we think the evil in my life is just a product of all the problems in my life. And so if I just remove all the problems, I'll easy sailing. I'll be able to, to have as much faith as God needs me to have. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes God gives us problems to draw us back to him, or he allows them to be in our lives to draw us back, to keep us on the straight and narrow, to keep producing passion. Think about it. Has evil 
somehow radically dematerialized since life has become easier in the 20th, 21st century. <laughs> life has become easier. Getting our food and water is easier, but that evil still abounds, right? It's not a lack of problems. It's not a lack of the world because the evil is in here. The only thing that changes us from the inside out is Jesus' forgiveness. It's the only thing. Justice systems, our own justice systems, only change the outward actions. The only thing that I know of that changes us from the inside out is Jesus. It's the only thing that works. Instead of dull, passionless selfishness, we get to walk through life vibrant, passionate, and selfless. It's the only thing that's going to change the world. The message of the gospel. The good news that we don't have to live in slavery to sin. Ours or anyone else's anymore. We can forgive. Release the right to vengeance. And walk in freedom. And hope. That is kingdom living. Oh, Father... Today, we we come before you releasing the right to vengeance. We humble ourselves in your presence, knowing that we aren't as good at this as you are. You've got the whole world in your hands, that you read hearts and minds. Do you understand us better than we understand ourselves? And we thank you for your word that exposes hearts and minds, that convicts us and changes us from the inside out. Father, I ask that you speak to individuals today, that you do what you do best, convict us where we're holding on to things that we should have let go a long time ago, where we're sitting in our bitterness and anger, instead of actively seeking healing from you. Father, I pray that we would both be able to accept your forgiveness in our own lives and give it to other people freely. That we'd be able to see your kingdom come in that way soon, here and now. Let us experience your freedom and hope, true love like never before. Love covers a multitude of sins. Help us accept that and give it to other people too. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.